we're going to read Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 1 to 5. And then I'm going to skip to verse 26 to 31. So Genesis, oh, I've just locked my iPad. You know when your iPad stops reading your thumb? Ah, there you go. Um, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 5. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Then skipping down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increasing number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seeds in it. They will be your food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So last time we were together, we started this teaching series that we're calling The Story of God. And our goal between now and Easter is to really explore uh, what we call the big story of the Bible, the, the meta-narrative, the story of stories. Now, sometimes uh, when uh, some of us hear the word story, uh, we think... Uh, the implication is that somehow that's untrue, you know, like a, like a fairy tale. Just, just to be clear, uh, that isn't what we're saying. When we, when we talk about God's story, uh, we do believe it's true, okay? We do believe that uh, it's historical uh, and things actually happened. Uh, but we're framing all of that in this overarching idea of a story, Uh, And that's what we mean by the story of God. And uh, we said this as a kind of working definition for the journey we're on. We said the Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human that together tell a unified story which leads us to Jesus. That's the kind of journey that we're on. That's what we're trying to unpack 
as we go on this journey together. Now, we started last time uh, considering the source of our story, which is the Bible itself, which I forgot to bring uh, with me this morning. Uh, And then last time we were together, we addressed this idea that the Bible is sufficient, it's coherent, and it has authority. Uh, we, and, and we asked, didn't we? we, said, why in an age like ours should we trust the Bible? Because after all, the Bible has been used for some horrendous things, hasn't it? To justify some horrendous things in our history. And at the same time, it's ins- inspired significant good. We, I quoted Mark Twain. He said, in the Bible, you find both the poison and the cure. You find the poison and the cure. But ultimately, we trust the scriptures because Jesus trusted them. That Jesus was obsessed with the Bible. You know, I said by the time he was a teenager, he would have memorized the Old Testament. You know, and he quoted from it. He prayed from it. He interpreted what it meant to be uh, in the kingdom through the word of God. And, and so we trust the Bible because Jesus trusts it and we trust him. Yeah? <laughs> that's, that's not a trick question. Um, we, we trust Jesus. And so if you missed that first part, then do check out um, the podcast. Uh, you, can, you can catch up there. And to help us tell this kind of overarching story of the Bible, we've broken it down into four sections, if you like, four parts, four acts if you like, of a play. Uh, The first is creation, which we're going to explore today. Um, The second is fall, not the American version of autumn, um, but, you know, the fall of mankind, a little bit more significant. Um, uh, Redemption. Uh, And this really is the largest part of the Bible. Uh, The largest story that the Bible tells is this redemption story. starts with this character, Abraham, Uh, is extended to a nation called Israel, uh, which leads to Jesus, uh, which ultimately leads to the birth of the church. And then the final act of our story is restoration or the renewal of all things. The the end of this story is where God makes all things new. And that you and I, at the same time, are in in this moment of this restorative moment, aren't we, where we are both working towards and looking towards that moment being fulfilled. And so we can break the story of God down into these four sections uh, just as a helpful way to hang our coat on them and say, well, this is where we are in the story. And as I said last time, typically as a church, we haven't always focused on the whole story. In fact, many of us, if you, hands up if you were brought up in church, anyone, most of you, some of you, um, but if you were brought up in church, um, you were probably taught to believe that the Bible starts in Genesis chapter 3 and ends in Revelation 20. And what I mean by that is, is that if you grew up in church, you, were probably thought, you probably thought that the Bible was about humanity as sinned, And God is bringing judgment upon sin, and Jesus saves us from that judgment. This is what we tend to think 
the Bible is about. If you talk to people outside of faith, if you ask them what the Bible is about, I would summarize that that may be something that they understand the Bible to be about. So Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of, of humanity, which we'll look at next time. And Revelation 20 is about the ultimate judgment of that fallen world. But that idea of the Bible story is a bit of a truncated story. And I would argue it kind of distorts the story a little bit. It, it flattens God's story. It, it kind of makes it a half story. Uh, you remember the analogy we used last time? It's, like, it's a bit like going to the cinema and turning up to watch a film 30 minutes late and then leaving 30 minutes before the end. And so we miss out these other two parts of the story. Uh, when we look at the whole story, we, we realise it doesn't start, you're a sinner. We've already read it this morning, haven't we? It doesn't start, you're a sinner. It actually starts in a garden uh, with a God who creates. And this God who creates says, it was good. And then the story also ends in a garden city. And you kind of maybe getting why we called what we're called, but um, um, with, it ends with new creation, a new heaven and a new earth where God has made all things new. The problem is we sometimes make the creation story just the backdrop to the bigger, oh, the, the more important story. We're like, oh yeah, God created some stuff, but really, you know, he's in the business of judging people and, you know, trying to sort out humanity, put everything, put everything right. When actually this story starts with creation and ends with new creation. And that's ultimately what God is up to. That's the whole point of the story. And so we have to see the fall, that bit, the sin bit. And we have to see the redemption bit, God outworking the problem in the bigger the bigger picture of the story. You see, this, this library of books that we call the Bible is about God and a God and God's good creation and how we were created in his image to partner with him in his good creation. And then how um, we rebelled, of course, rebellion enters the story. And now God is on this intentional mission to restore us and redeem us and bring us back to him, to restore creation to himself. And how that is ultimately accomplished is through Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is the one who makes the way. And now we are new partners with God through Jesus to bring about his redemption and that one day soon, Jesus will come back himself and bring about this renewal of all things. All things will be made new again. That's the whole story. That's the story that we want to tell. That's the story. You know, as I think about planting a church in a city like Milton Keynes, that's the story we want to embody as a people. We want to live out that kind of story. It's also a story that set in a context. You know, have you ever walked into a room or walked into the middle of a conversation and um, you hear someone say like, I just told him to put his shirt back on. 
And you're like, whoa, what's going on? You know, what have I walked into? What, what were you talking about? I need to know the context of, of what you're saying. Or, or another way of um, thinking about context, it's a bit like, you know, the, the phrase, hit the bat, it means one thing in a sports arena, yeah? It means something completely different in the flying mammal section of the zoo, yeah? And so context, context is important. We need to operate in context. And this is exactly how we should approach the story of the Bible, that the Bible has to tell. And, and, and hopefully that's the journey that we're on over the next couple of months. As we journey through this story, we get to tell the whole story, not just part of the story, in its context. So Genesis chapter 1 and 2. What is the story? Well, I want to highlight three things that shape how the story starts. Genesis 1 and 2, it teaches us this is a different kind of story. It's a different kind of story that answers a different set of questions and is inviting us into a different way to live. And so they're the three things that I want us to think about this morning. So first, this is a different kind of story. The first thing that we're confronted, you know, as we open up uh, the Bible, uh, is this claim that the world is good. Now, for our modern ears, we might think, oh yeah, you know, that's, that's, yeah, people, most people think that the world is is relatively a good place. Um, but, you know, the world hasn't always thought like we think, has it? And um, it's only our Western 21st century arrogance that thinks it has. But um, the world hasn't always thought the way we think. And actually, uh, this idea that creation was good was quite a revolutionary concept when the Bible was being written and collected together. For example, there is another ancient creation narrative from the Babylonians called the Enuma Elish. And it was found on these clay tablets. Um, some people would date it as older uh, than Genesis itself. And the similarities between these two stories are quite striking. They both start with this picture of watery chaos uh, both have six scenes or, uh, you know, six parts to the creation story where, where humanity is created in the sixth day or the sixth theme. Uh, but in the Enuma Elish, uh, the world started because the gods were at war. Uh, and as these gods tore their limbs apart, uh, parts of the world are created from the body parts of the wounded gods. Sounds a bit grim, doesn't it? Uh, that, that somehow, when humanity is created, uh, uh, it was, uh, was kind of like this afterthought. Uh, when, when all the beaten gods started crying to, uh, uh, to Marduk, you know, the king god, uh, make us your slave, make us your slave. Uh, so what he did, he took the blood and guts of all these fallen gods and humanity was created. Uh, and humanity was created as a slave to the gods. Now, if you're the ruler of Babylon and you are 
telling this story to your people and you're considered like a, a demigod, um, you know, you, you hand this story to the people, the enumeralish, and, and what you're saying to them, in short, is, is it's, life is hard, it's violent, it's meaningless, and you're a slave to the gods. You're a slave to the gods. Genesis 1, on the other hand, God takes this watery chaos and he orders it, not through war or bloodshed or anything like that, but through his word. He speaks and it is. And so we have this creation account in Genesis chapter 1 that is written like poetry or prose or some would call it an ode or a hymn of creation. And this beautiful poetic picture declares over and over again, God's creation is good. The sky is good. The land is good. The sun is good. The plants are good. The animals are good. And the crowning beauty of God's creation, his image bearers, humanity, is good. Made equal with each other and made in the image of God. And we're not slaves in this story to God, but we're partners with God to carry on God's creative beauty and plan in the world. This is a different kind of story. But not only is it a different kind of story to ancient ears, but it's also a different kind of story to modern ears as well. For the most part, our modern story is adapted from a a kind of humanist, evolutionary story. And whilst it's not my job to dispute science and say, you know, or that, that shows that complex organisms evolve from simple ones through a process of natural selection, it's, I don't think it's my job as a pastor to address that. What I can dispute, because I think the Bible does this, uh, is this worldview that this whole thing just happened by blind accident. I think we can address that. I don't think that claim is substantial when we read the account in the scriptures. Francis Collins, the former atheist turned follower of Jesus, he was the head of the uh, Human Genome Project who mapped DNA. He, He said this, I can't imagine how nature, in the case of the universe, could have created itself. The very fact that the universe had a begin implies that someone was able to begin it. And it seems to me that had to be outside of nature. So whilst Genesis 1 and 2 uh, maybe doesn't tell us the complexity that took place in creation, it makes the clear claim that it was created by a creator So the Bible tells us a different story, which leads to the next point. It tells us a different story that answers a different set of questions. You see, Genesis 1 and 2 is not answering, and you might not like this, but it's not answering the how question. It's not answering the how. Genesis 1 and 2 is not a science book. I don't know if you've realized realized that. Genesis is not trying to answer how did God do it but it's telling us that he did it. Yeah? 
uh, that he created the world, that he created us humans in his image, that, that he left us with vocation and calling and purpose. And that's an important thing for us to grasp because if we come with a different set of questions than the Bible tries to answer, then we end up distorting what the Bible actually is trying to say. John Walton in his book, The Lost World of Genesis 1, he says this, uh, if we try and turn Genesis 1 into an explanation for modern cosmology, we are making the text say something it never said. It's not just a case of adding meaning, it's a case of changing meaning. Since we view the text as authoritative, as we talked about last week, it is a dangerous thing to change the meaning of the text into something it never intended to say. And so I would say, and you can really disagree and we can still sit around my table, okay? But I would say that Genesis 1 literally means this. It means God created the world as good. And he created humanity in his image to be good partners with him uh, in order to rule the world faithfully. This is what I believe Genesis 1 and 2 is literally saying. Christopher Wright is an Old Testament theologian. He says this. The creation narrative provides answers for two, the two most fundamental questions that all philosophies and religions answer in different ways. Where are we and who are we? That is to say, first, what is this universe in which we find ourselves? Where did it come from? And why does it exist or even, is it even real? And then second, what does it mean to be human? Are we gods or merely animals that have evolved a bit further than the rest? Uh, does human life have any value, meaning, or purpose? See, Genesis 1 and 2 says, God creates the world from chaos. Out of darkness, he creates the world, and the world that God creates is good. Is good. It's very good. And it's full of meaning and it's full of potential and it's full of beauty. And he brings out of that dark, formless chaos order. You know, and the picture we see is the picture of a garden. Now, there is some chaos and there is still some darkness, isn't there, in, in God's good world. We're not really told why it remains, but we see it develops further in Genesis 3, and we're not going to go there today. But this, this, this kind of darkness and chaos that exists post God's creation is, is left over, but it's, it's kind of ordered. It's ordered in what God's doing. And, and, and what we're told is that God wants to keep bringing more order and bringing more beauty into the world. And he wants it to keep going. So how does he keep that creativeness going, that, that, that process going? He does it through us, through his humanity. He does it through, through um, giving us a sense of meaning and calling. That the, the Bible uses the word rule. We're, we're called to rule the world. Now, God's the ruler of the world, just to make that clear. Uh, but, and God, God is the one who rules over us. But who 
rules the world in his stead. His image bearers. Humanity does. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, and, and we're here. You may, this is where our place comes into the story. Uh, and, and God places Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis 2, and he tells them to rule as is image bearers, uh, to make babies, to bring about goodness uh, in the world uh, that, that God has created, to, to bring about order, to keep spreading his creative goodness in the world as partners, not slaves. And so he gives us vocation. That's what the word calling means. Uh, uh, he gives us vocation to rule the world on his behalf. I'm just thinking of Tears for Fears. Is it, is it Tears for Fears? Everybody wants to rule the world. Um, but, um, but then we get this really strange story. We haven't got time to read it today. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verses 15 and 17, where God brings Adam before two trees. Uh, one of them, the tree of life, and the other, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he's told, do not eat from the tree of good and evil. And this kind of brings me to my last point. The, the story invites us into a different way to live. You know, why a forbidden tree in the middle of a garden? Why the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Well, narratively, this is what I think it's saying. Uh, as those created in God's image uh, to rule, to create, uh, to bring about beauty and goodness in the earth. The question is, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And I think we have two options. Option one is that we will trust and submit ourselves to God's knowledge of good and evil. That we will live under the limitations of being human and not God. And we will live as those created in his image. And so we will live under some restraint, some restriction that God has put there. Option two is we give in to manipulation and define what is good and evil for ourselves. And we end up saying, God, I don't trust you and I don't trust your definition of good. I'll leave I'll leave this to myself to decide. Thank you very much. And I think we have those two options. We find ourselves with those two options. And this is kind of where the story hangs because, you know, we are going to go to Genesis chapter 3 next time. But my guess is, we all know uh, the end and the outcome of the story. Um, but I also believe this creation narrative invites us into something different today. It invites us to consider, I think, the way that we trust God. Do we trust God? Will we trust God for how he has ordered the world, how he has put it together? Will we trust God's ability to give us what we need and maybe not always give us what we want? Will we trust his def definition uh, of humanity, of partnership, of ruling with him as those who bear his image? Will we accept the parameters that God gives us? Christopher Wright, again, he says, we'll stand before God for our humanity 
as much as our Christianity. We will stand before God, every one of us, and give an account for how we have been human. And have we, been, have we done what we've been ordered to do? What we've been created to do? Will we partner with him in caring for the earth, in bringing about its creative beauty and goodness? Or will we contribute to its destruction? Will we destroy it with our rage, our jealousy, our anger, our selfishness, our pride, our greed, our lust, our violence? Will we keep destroying the world or will we partner with him? Will we trust him? Now the truth is, I'm pretty sure we all know there's a gap between where we are and where we know we should be or where at least we believe God wants us to be. And, you know, the beauty of our faith is that we get to confess that gap, don't we? We get to confess that gap between uh, who we are and where we stand in this moment and all that God has for us, all that God wants us to be. And, and so there's this gap that exists. And, you know, it's in moments like this, as we gather in places like this, that we get to close that gap with one another as we get to confess that gap to God, that we confess to him that we don't measure up, that, that we don't meet the criteria all of the time. But I, God, I want it to be my desire. God, I want it to be uh, who I am. And Lord, I want to confess my sin to you. I want to confess the gap to you between uh, who you've called me to be and who I am right now. In Hebrews 1, it says, it says this, In the past, God spoke to us ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir over all things and through whom all is made, made in the universe. Uh, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so we have an opportunity as we embark on where this story starts in God creating all things, creating us in his image, creating us with purpose. We have an opportunity to confess to Jesus the gap. And Jesus is the one who restores all things. He puts us back together. He rightly orders our priorities, our loves. He rightly orders our hates. He rightly orders our hurts and our past and our future. We just bring it all to him. He brings it all into order. And I think sometimes our lives can feel a little bit like that picture of pre-created chaos. Yeah, in Genesis 1. Sometimes our lives can feel a little bit formless and void and chaotic, can't they? And what we see in the creation story 
is that God has this way of reordering things that are chaotic. Speaking things back into their right order through Jesus. Jesus.